rest and peace are among the greatest blessings God gives to disciples of Jesus Christ. Now the rest and peace I'm thinking of aren't merely physical rest and and physical peace, though those exist. Rather, I'm thinking of the great spiritual rest and the great spiritual peace disciples of Jesus have through Jesus. And through Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Through Jesus, we are secure and no one can snatch us from the Father's hand. Through Jesus, we have an advocate with the Father. Through Jesus, we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven just for us. In Jesus, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Jesus, we have all things which pertain to life, to godliness. In Jesus, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. In Jesus, we know we're not alone because He will never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus... We have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. In Jesus, we have a hope so great the sufferings of this life cannot be compared to it. In Jesus, we have so much more than we could discuss in one church service. The knowledge of who we are in Jesus and what we have through Jesus has given our souls peace and have left them at rest. Now, of course, there are times of trouble come into our lives And they threaten our peace. And they threaten our rest. But even in those times, for the disciple of Jesus, we are reminded that we are invited by our Father to cast all of our cares upon Him. For He cares for us. And remembering the invitation and responding to that invitation restores the peace and the rest to our souls we had prior to the the trouble. The rest and the peace we enjoy now grows deeper and deeper the longer we follow Jesus. As the old song says, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. But as great as the rest and the peace is now and grows in this life, it is a mere taste of what is to come. There is a day when we will enter into his presence and we will receive the fullness of rest and the fullness of peace promised to us in Scripture. In that day, nothing will disturb our rest and nothing will disturb our peace in even the slightest of ways. There are great joys and great glories which await us as disciples of Jesus. This rest, this peace, these precious promises, this future of hope and glory, they're only for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, those who have repented of their sins, who have believed in Jesus. The reason for that is because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Open your Bible to Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. It should be on page 523. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as such as it was in the her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For when thou hast broken the yoke of this burden... And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. 
But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. And establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. title of the message today is Jesus the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come this morning and Lord, we, we crave the kind of peace Jesus can give us. Father, we know from Scripture this peace is meant to be ours. It is what is a part of what Jesus gives us when we come to Him. But Lord, we live in a world which does all it can to steal our peace. It does all it can to disturb our souls and keep them from being at rest in You. And Lord, we know You're greater than anything in this world, so realistically, nothing can steal our peace. Nothing can disturb our soul unless we let it. Today, strengthen us through Your Spirit and Your Word so we would be strong in You and in the power of Your might and we could rest in You and have peace in You. Lord, I don't know what 2021 is going to bring. I just know that the chaos of this world is probably not going to get any better. I know that The news media, which is constantly trying to stir us up, is not going to change. I know that the politicians, which are constantly trying to stir us up, are not going to change. I know the constant just odd things posted on social media that threaten to stir us up are not going to change. But that's okay. Because you're not going to change either. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He... He is the Prince of Peace. And He will be the Prince of Peace in our hearts and in our souls. So today we look to You. We we cry out for Your Spirit to come and take this Word and make it living and active in our hearts. Make it to convict us where we need convicting. Make it to encourage us where we need encouraging. Make it to strengthen us where we need strengthening. Make it to, to give us at peace where we are filled with anxiety. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of peace, clarity of speech to speak your word in your ways for your glory. I don't want to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said or what you want done. Have your way in all of our hearts, all of our lives. We ask in Jesus name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. The people of Judah and Jerusalem were facing a severe crisis. They were about to be attacked by the Syrian kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, four years, Syria and northern Israel had been bitter enemies. But the imminent threat of Assyria had caused them to form an alliance. Syria and northern Israel strongly encouraged Judah to join the alliance, but they refused. So Syria and northern Israel formed their alliance to attack Judah with the purpose of either beating them into submission so the king would join them or to conquer the king and put a puppet king in his place who would join in their in their group, in their coalition. Everything for Judah and Jerusalem looked hopeless. There was a spirit of anguish and distress gripping the hearts of the people. 
They were living in a war-torn nation. They felt completely helpless. Most of the nation had already fallen to the Assyrians who were sweeping across the nation, conquering across the land, conquering everything inside. This was a dark, dismal, hopeless day for the people of Israel. But in the midst of this, Isaiah sees a day when God would lift the people out of the darkness and out of the despair by sending his Messiah. To the people of Israel, Isaiah 9 was a shining message of hope and an agonizing despair of the world. Now, of course, the the message about the Messiah in verse 6 is our primary focus for this study. Now, it starts off in Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. Those phrases are significant. For unto us is a reminder Jesus' coming was for our benefit. He came for us. And the idea of Jesus being a, a son given, or the Messiah being a son given, is reminiscent of John 3.16, where God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Also, it probably ties back to Isaiah 7 and 14, where God promised to give a sign of a virgin conceiving, bearing a son, who would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1, of course, tells us this was fulfilled in the life and the birth of Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah who was a child born and a son given to give us light in our darkness, joy in our misery, peace in our conflict. And he would do this in part by fulfilling the names given to him in Isaiah 9, 6. We've talked about wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. Today, we finish by saying Jesus is the prince of peace. Now, the idea of Jesus being the Prince of Peace means He is the source of peace. Peace flows out of Jesus. Peace is secured by Jesus. And this peace is as sure as Jesus Himself. Now, when we look at the idea of peace in connection with Jesus in the New Testament, I think we find three aspects of the peace Jesus gives us. One is the peace the kingdom of God will bring into the world. One of the ways we see brokenness in our world is through the war and the violence, constantly on the news. The news continually reminds us of violence and war in faraway places, but as Christmas in Nashville reminded us, it's not just in faraway places. Even in our own country and in our own streets, there is violence, there is war, there is anger, there is hatred, there is murder. And these things will always be so long as we live in this life. But the day is coming. When these things will no longer be a part of life because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It says earlier in verse in verse six, the government would be upon his shoulder. Then in verse seven, it says of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end but on the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will Secure this. We'll perform this. The idea of Jesus' government, I think, is the same as the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God began to enter into the world to set things aright when Jesus came into the world at His birth. It has been ever-expanding and ever-increasing ever since. And it will continue to expand. It will continue to increase until it has basically brought the entire world under the rule and the reign of Jesus. And in that day, we are promised, 
Wars and strife will cease. Here's an Old Testament promise about this. It talks about, again, the Messiah would judge between many people. And he would rebuke strong nations afar off. And they would beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Now the picture of swords being turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks is taking weapons of war and turning them into farm implements. The reason is because peace has been brought to such an extent there is no longer a need for war. There will no longer be war. There is no longer a need for weapons for nation to rise against nation. But I don't think it's just weapons of warfare. I think it's weapons of any sort. Because notice what it goes on to say. And there shall be none to make them afraid. So there will be no need for weapons because there will be peace and no war. But not only will there not be any need for weapons of war, there won't be need for personal weapons. There won't be need for personal protection weapons because there will be nothing that brings violence, nothing that brings death, nothing that brings harm. There will be nothing that brings fear into anyone's world at all. Now, in in our day where there is such violence, where there is such war and where it is so common that it's not even often reported unless it is significant... We have a hard time imagining a day like that. We have a hard time imagining this sort of peace. For many in here, you have never lived in a time when the United States was not at war. You have not been alive at a time when the United States was not an invading nation fighting against aggressors. So your whole life, you have lived with war. It has always been on the news. It has always been there. For those of us who are older, we may have lived at times where the United States wasn't at war, but we have never seen a time where there weren't wars. We have never seen a time when the Middle East was at peace. We have never seen a time when there wasn't violence and crime on the news. We have never seen that. Because in this life, it will always be this way. It is one of the the results of sin. Sin has brought Violence and anger and murder and war into the world. But the way the world is now is not the way the world will always be. There is a day coming where there will be peace, perfect peace and perfect rest to such an extent that any weapon will be destroyed. Not not a government buyback that destroys it, but there's just no need for anything like this anymore. And it would be turned into something useful. And there will be nothing in all of the world that will make anyone afraid ever. And this is sure because Jesus is the Prince of Peace who will usher in this peace and this rest into the world. The second way peace is used in relation to Jesus in the New Testament is the peace He brings within us. Isaiah 57 Describes some people as being troubled like the waves of the sea when it cannot rest. And it pictures people being always in turmoil, always anxious, always upset. It it pictures just this constant, unceasing inner turmoil going on in people's lives. 
People who have troubled souls and they lack peace. And there are many reasons people are in turmoil like this. But I think there would be three in particular that came to my mind as I was studying this. One is that some people are just perpetually unhappy. Probably we all know someone who no matter what's going on, there's something wrong in their lives. There's something wrong in their world. That no conversation with them is ever complete unless they gripe about something. Unless they nag about something. Unless they complain about something. Unless they rage about something. There's always something either in their life or in the world that angers them and upsets them and leaves them a generally unhappy. Now, one constant, typically constant with them is it's other people. Right? They're unhappy Because of what's happening over there. I'm unhappy because of something Aaron did. I'm unhappy because of something Gerald has done. I'm unhappy because of the the Democrats. I'm unhappy because of the Republicans. I'm unhappy because of Congress or the news media. But, But what's going on out there has made me unhappy. And I'm always unhappy because there's always something out there to be unhappy about. Even the anger they feel toward the issues of the world typically are just a way to keep the focus off of themselves. They're just perpetually unhappy people. Another reason people have troubled souls and lack peace is because they're constantly changing. Or This probably isn't because they're changing. This is probably more a sign of an unhappy soul. A sign of a person not at rest. The picture of a sea troubled, it's ever moving, it's restless, it's constantly in motion, it's never calm. And these people have troubled souls, they lack peace, so they're always in motion. They're always changing. They're they're unhappy at this job, so they find a new job. And they're unhappy in this relationship, so they find a different relationship. They're unhappy in this church, so they find... Another church. They're, they're unhappy with these friends, so they find new friends. They're, they're unhappy here, so they'll move and change there, hoping that will bring happiness. But the problem is that wherever they go, there they are. And the unhappiness is in their soul. It's not in the job. It's not in the relationship. It's not in the church. It's not where they, it's not in anywhere they're going. It's in them. And so they get to where they're going. And they think, aha, this is it. I found my happiness. I found my peace. And then suddenly the waves come back and overtake them again. Well, this wasn't it. So I need to look for another job and another relationship and another church and another thing and more over here. And they are just constantly moving, constantly going. There is no peace in here. And so they are constantly moving out there in an effort to find The peace they crave so desperately. And then those who have troubled souls and lack peace, they are also typically, they are always anxious. Worry is a powerful and negative force in the lives of many, many people. It consumes most of their waking hours and it invades their dreams at night. Many cases, it keeps them from being able to sleep at night because all they can do is think about the what ifs. 
What has happened? What I said? What has been done? What are they doing? What are they planning? What are they thinking? What's going to happen? How is it going to turn out? What's going to happen with this? How is this going to go on? And let's be clear. Our world right now is giving us plenty to try to add to that, isn't it? What's going to happen if you take the vaccine? What's going to happen if you don't take the vaccine? What's going to happen if everyone wears masks? What's going to happen if no one wears masks? What's going to happen if Joe Biden wins and is sworn in on January 20th? What's going to happen if he don't? What's going to happen if the economy opens back up? What's going to happen if it doesn't? Over and over again, the, the, the news and everything around us is, is pouring into our lives. Worry about this. But here's one constant about worry and anxiety. We can't do anything about it. Can our worrying cause anything to happen with the election? No, it's out of our hands. We've done our part. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. We can't change it. Is the vaccine going to make us immune or is it going to turn us into X-Men or zombies? We don't know and we can't do anything about it. There's nothing we can do about the things we worry about. We just stay up and we worry We can't undo any of our mistakes in the past, so our worry about those is worthless. We can't change anything that's happening in the future, so our worry about that is worthless. The things that the government is doing, our worry about that does not concern them. Our worry affects only us and probably our immediate family who we make miserable in the process of being anxious and worried. But Jesus doesn't want us to be like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. He is the Prince of Peace and he wants to give us his peace. Peace I leave with you, he said. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The peace Jesus gives us is a gift given by him. It is secured by him. Now, we'll talk a little bit about what it means the world giveth in a little bit. I don't want to get into that. But just with this thought. If Jesus, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, gives me his peace. What on this earth? has the power to snatch that out of my hands and take what Jesus has given me? Well, the answer is nothing. Right? The election and what the government is doing regarding that, they can't snatch Jesus' peace out of my heart. I can relinquish it to them, but they can't snatch it. The economy can't snatch Jesus' peace out of my heart. I can relinquish it, but I, I... can't take it. The issues with the vaccine and all whatever can't snatch it, can't. But I can give it. Jesus has given us his peace, not the world's peace, not American peace, not Mexican peace, not Canadian peace, his peace from the Prince of Peace, who will guarantee and usher in world peace someday. 
Therefore, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. When we embrace His peace and we rest in His peace, it doesn't mean we're not aware. I mean, I'm not saying turn off the news and don't pay attention, although for many of us that would actually be a good thing, probably healthier in our lives. But that's not what I'm saying. The peace Jesus gives is greater than turning off the news and not knowing what's going on. It's the kind of peace that you have. You can watch the news and go, oh, that looks bad. Thank you, Jesus. I'm in your hands. That's the kind of peace we can have. Honestly, let me say this and I'll move on about the news for this week. If we're losing sleep off of what's on Fox News, Newsmax, CNN, or MSNBC, our focus is all wrong. If we're losing sleep over the election, our focus is all wrong. If we're losing sleep over the vaccine or masks or no masks, our focus is all wrong. We're focused on this world and not upon Jesus. There needs to be within disciples of Jesus a letting go of these worldly things that are bringing us down, destroying the peace He has given us, making us act like unbelievers in our morals and our values and our attitudes and our actions, and a letting go of those things and a grabbing hold of Christ and the cross and saying, I'm holding on here. And so long as Jesus is my Prince of Peace, I have peace. I don't know what's going to happen on January the 20th, but I'm not troubled and neither am I afraid. I don't know what the vaccine's going to do or not do, but neither am I. I'm not troubled, neither am I afraid. That is the kind of peace. That's how we stand out from the world. When the world sees us as troubled, as anxious, as angry, as frustrated, as losing sleep as they are, they're like, what good does Jesus do? He doesn't help them at all. They're just like me. We're meant to be different. And one of the ways we're meant to be different is through the peace we have through Christ, the Prince of Peace. And then finally, Jesus brings us peace with God. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things on earth, things in earth, things in heaven, And you that were sometime alienated, enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now, we have to get to the idea of peace here. And we have to build on it. He made peace. But notice what it means by peace. It doesn't mean he he gave us peace like, like the peace we were just talking about. That's not the point here. In this case, it means something else. Because notice it says, and you that were sometime what? Alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So here's the key. Before we came to Jesus, we were alienated from God. Separated from Him. But not only were we separated from Him, alienated from Him. We were enemies. We lived as though we were His enemies. Now, you might say, well, that's a bit much. Because I think for me. I mean, I was raised in church. I never, I can't remember a time when we didn't go to even a free will Baptist church. I, I would not say that there was ever a moment in my life where I thought of myself as an enemy of God. And yet, the Bible says when I was alienated from Christ, I was. 
an enemy in my mind by wicked works. So we could say, well, surely the Bible's, I mean, that's hyperbole, right? It's just a little, it's an exaggeration to make a point. And the reality is it's not an exaggeration to make a point. It is dead on exactly accurate. So now we wonder, well, how is that not a bit much? I mean, I can see people who are followers of other religions that persecute Christians, enemies, sure. But how about just people who are alienated and just not living for Jesus? How are they enemies? That's an overstatement, surely. But it's not. And here's why. Two reasons. First, Jesus is Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King and the ruler over all creation. Through His existence, through His death, through His resurrection, He has the right to rule. Now part of having the right to rule is the right to say what is right and what is wrong. To refuse to submit to the rule and the reign of Jesus. To do what He says to do and to not do what He says not to do. A person who refuses to submit to the rule and the reign of Jesus, they make themselves the enemy of Jesus. Or really, they make themselves the enemy of the kingdom of God and of the ruler of this kingdom. Think about it in terms of a nation. In America, there's an FBI's most wanted list. Why do people get on this list? The person at the top of the list is often called public enemy number one. Why? What have they done to make themselves public enemy number one? Well... They have rejected the rule of laws we have in America. They have made themselves an enemy of the people and an enemy of the state. And that makes them an enemy of the nation. That's why they are public enemy number one. This is exactly what those who refuse to submit to the rule and the reign of Jesus do. In essence, they say no one will rule over me, not even Jesus. And in doing this, they are declaring their hostilities toward him. They are telling the king... You're not my king. Hashtag not my king. And they're in rebellion against the king and the kingdom. And they make themselves his enemy. Secondly, Jesus died for their salvation. Those who refuse to submit to the rule and the reign of Jesus declare through their rebellion, they don't need Jesus. They declare his death in their place a stupid waste of time. Let me put it in people terms. If your child sacrificed their life to save another, and later that person mocked the idea of the sacrifice your child made on their behalf, acted as though they were fine and didn't really need that, and they could have taken care of it on their own, how would you feel? Well, isn't it likely God the Father feels pretty much the same way? When we declare we do not need Jesus, we are rejecting his death and we're saying it wasn't needed for me. We are telling God the Father, I had it on my own. I could have done it. A rejection of Jesus' reign over our lives is a rejection of his death in our place. And this rejection leads us to a place of hostilities with God. So there we were alienated and enemies in our mind by our wicked works. But something happened. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 
And he wasn't just a kid. He was the Messiah, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the wonderful counselor and the prince of peace. And he came to make sure peace could be had between the parties who were at enmity. Now, in a wartime situation, peace between opposite sides comes in one of two ways. They negotiate peace is one. So what happens is both sides are tired of fighting. Both sides are equal and comparable in power. And they sit down at the table and they say, "Okay, I'll stop if you stop and you stop that and I'll stop this. And they negotiate. And in negotiation, there are agreements made. There are concessions made by both party to ensure everyone is either happy or at least the same kind of unhappy. But again, that happens when they are of basically equal power. Another way war is ended is when one of the people, one of the combatants deals a blow so powerful, it lets the other know they have no chance at victory or it breaks their spirit to fight any longer and they unconditionally surrender. In an unconditional surrender, the defeated combatant agrees without any conditions to whatever terms the victor offers. The fighting of World War II had gone on for years between the Axis and the Allies, and it seemed as though it would continue for many more years because of the Japanese refusal to surrender. But something happened. August 1945, America, for the first time in warfare, deployed the atomic bomb. On August 6, 1945, Hiroshima was bombed. On August 9, 1945, Nagasaki was bombed. And Japan surrendered. August the 14th, 1945, ending World War II. The blow America dealt with the atomic bomb was so severe, Japan knew they must seek peace or be totally destroyed. It destroyed their will to fight any longer. What Jesus did on the cross dealt a blow so severely, we must unconditionally surrender and seek peace through Him. God will not accept Anything from us but an unconditional surrender. His terms. We must repent of our sins. We must believe in Jesus Christ. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. This is the deal. And there's not a better deal to be had. God is not waiting for us to come to the negotiating table and us to say, hey, what will you, this is what I'll give up if you'll compromise that. We, we see this in a lot of places throughout Scripture which aren't in my notes and I don't have time to get into, but I'm going to. Jesus, a rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he said, hey, what do I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, you know, you know the, the laws. You know, do this, do that. And the guy said, well, I've done all those. Jesus said, well, there's one thing you like. Sell all that you have. Give your money to the poor. And come follow me. And you'll have riches in heaven. And the Bible says the guy turned and walked away sad because he had great possessions. He was wealthy. Now, if God was in the negotiating business, Jesus would have called and said, give, give 50%. And we, let's start at 50 and work from there. But he didn't. You know what Jesus did? He let him walk away. John chapter 6, Jesus says to be his disciple, we've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. A lot of the crowd hear him and they go, what? It's crazy talk. That's a hard saying. Who can hear it? He says, does that offend you? And they said, yeah. And they turned and they walked away. And you know what he did? He looked at his twelve who were left and he said, are you all going with them or are you all going to stay with me? 
He didn't negotiate with the crowd that left at all. His conditions were set. And his conditions are still set today. Through his death on the cross, he calls us to repent of our sins, to believe in Jesus, to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And in the process, we are brought to peace with God. We are reconciled with God. We are made children of God. We are made holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And we change sides. We go from being a part of the kingdom of darkness to become a part of the kingdom of light. Only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can do this in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who brought peace through His death and His resurrection and has made peace between us and God. Now the world offers many sources of peace. Financial security, Success, politics, good health, stability, or comfort. But 2020 has done a good job of showing us the problem with these sources of peace. They're fragile. They're easily lost. They're easily upended. How many people in 2020 have lost their financial security? And if their peace was in that, they've lost their peace. How many people in 2020 have lost their their success, their businesses are down? And if their peace was in that, they've lost their peace. How many people found peace in their political party and are now at a loss for peace because both parties are in chaos? How many people have found peace in their good health, have lost their peace in 2020? How many people have looked for peace through their stability or their comfort? And now we're at a loss for peace because life is anything but stable and uncomfortable right now. The world's sources of peace are all unstable and they all fluctuate. And so our peace will fluctuate up and down as the things happen. Because again, as 2020 has showed us, just because we're fine today doesn't mean we won't lose our health tomorrow. Just because we have a job today doesn't mean we'll have a job tomorrow. Just because our party was in power doesn't mean the next election is going to go our way. Any of these things can happen. And if our peace is built upon them, we will lose our peace until the problems are fixed. And until the problems are fixed, there will be no peace in our lives. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who is the source of our peace, who is very different than this. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The peace He gives is the peace He gives. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We can have the peace of people who are sitting with Him on a hillside, or we can have the peace of men who are singing and praising God in a prison. We can have the peace of those who left beatings, In the name of Jesus, singing and rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer in His name. We can have the peace of the Tyndales who praised God as they were burned alive. We can have the peace of the Polycarps who proclaimed the goodness of God as they were burned and then stabbed. We can have the peace of the Reformers who were often skinned alive and cried out praising Jesus all the while. Those are real stories of things that really happened. 
And that is the kind of peace our Jesus, our Prince of Peace can give us. And I don't know what 2021 holds, but I know we must be secure in Christ. We must be rooted in Him and fixed upon Him to have peace for whatever this next year is going to bring. We can have this kind of peace, but it is only found through Jesus Christ. It is only found through repenting of our sins and believing in Him, fixing our thoughts upon Him, and living in fellowship with Him. Everything, everything, everything rises and falls on our connection to Jesus. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as our musicians come forward. Here's what I want you to do. If you came in here today stressed out and beat down and you need the peace of God to guard your heart, I want you to raise your hand. It's a way to acknowledge. If you need, if you've raised your hand then I'm going to give you a time to pray. And pray where you are to yourself. You can come to the altar and I would be glad to pray with you. Where you pray is not nearly as important as what you're doing. And what you must do in this time is you must seek Jesus. He is the only one who can give you peace. As our musicians play, we'll have a time to respond. If you want to come forward, you can. Or pray where you are.